0: Hello and welcome back to our Additive Snack mini series on the future of energy. Additive Snack is the AM podcast dedicated, created, and streamed to support you on your additive manufacturing journey with inspiring personalities, stimulating education, and compelling discussions on cutting-edge technologies. And I'm your host, Fabian Alafeld, a member of the award-winning consulting, engineering, and education team named Additive Minds here at EOS in North America. We're now in the last episode of the three-part series, and we are about to get hot. Have you ever heard about fusion energy? Maybe you have, in discussions about some futuristic technologies. But what if I told you that the future is now? And what if I told you that AM already plays a significant role? Don't believe me? Then let me introduce you to Jim and Vincent from TAE. TAE is developing a commercial fusion power source that is compact, cost-effective, capable of sustaining the planet for centuries, and safe in every way. And we've got a great team to tell us more about that. Jim McNeil is the Chief Marketing Officer at TAE, and he's joined by Senior Mechanical and Project Engineer Vincent Pillard. So Jim and Vincent, you two are the last guests on our new season. Welcome to Additive of Snack.
1: Uh, Fabian, so good to be here. Thanks for having us.
0: Hello, Fabian. Thanks. So, Jim, I want to jump right in because your company is so exciting and I want to talk about the biggest question right now. Who is TAE and what technology are you working on?
1: Well, I'll go back to that in reverse order. Why are we exciting? Um, TAE is a pretty unique organization in that we've been at it for 24 years, this notion that we can build clean, carbon-free, radioactive-free abundant baseload energy uh, through fusion. And <clears throat> fusion is is nature's preferred energy source. Uh, people ask, you know, is fusion gonna work? I always tell them, look up in the sky, it works every day without fail. Um, everything that that we know in our life, the fact that we're here, the things we eat, the things we touch, the things we build with all come from stars and stars are our, are all fusion reactors. And so what we're trying to do, is replicate what takes place um, nearly 100 million miles away in the sky uh, here on Earth, You know, in like a magnetic bottle. Um, the reason that's important is that we've got great progress with renewables. Uh, we've got levelized cost of energy numbers from solar and wind that are the most competitive in the world, which is great, but those are intermittent power sources. They don't always provide power when you need them. Sometimes the sun doesn't shine and the wind doesn't blow. I think we're aware of that. So it's important that we get to a form of energy that is unlimited and, and non-carbon and non, non-polluting. And so that's what we're about. Um, that's the main focus of TAE. So
0: you're recreating the process that is happening in STARS. And that, that, is, that statement alone already is, is quite incredible. Why is that so important? I mean, you, you raised more than a billion US dollars in funding, which is incredible. What is the final impact that fusion technology could have on us and on planet Earth?
1: What we're on here is, is a long journey, and not just a journey for TAE, but really for engineers everywhere, for scientists everywhere, for people who care about the future for humanity and the planet. You know, getting to abundant clean energy for all is, is, is really a mandate. When we can provide abundant clean power for all nations, where they don't have to go to war for resources, um, that can change everything. So we believe that that's the proper course. Um, to get to that form of perfect power, we view it in three stages. First stage is we care about efficiency. Fusion is a decadal event. You know We don't expect we're gonna be seeing electrons to the grid until the early 2030s. And so we're still on this journey to make this happen. It takes a lot of work to get there. But in the meantime, we're developing technology that takes better care of the electron and, and makes more value out of the electron. And so our grid, in the United States, is about forty percent efficient. If we can, you know, cut that in half. I mean, we could we could cut the amount of greenhouse gases we're putting into the atmosphere in half as well. So building a more efficient grid, which means building better storage solutions, you know, it's production, consumption, distribution, management, all those things had to be taken in consideration. We're very much focused on that. So it's building a more efficient grid, more electric, better electric vehicles, better storage solutions. Secondly, it's proving fusion, which we're going to do in the next three to five years, prove that we can get more out than we put in. Um, and then third, it's scaling fusion so we can build plants around the world so everyone has abundant, clean electricity. That's the main point.
0: The main point, which is... I, I don't even know uh, if, I, if I can find the right word, words for this, but this sounds like <laughs> the solution to many challenges that we're, that we're facing today, and not only energy challenges, but also uh, challenges, as you mentioned, war about resources that, uh, that shouldn't happen in this day and age. And you also mentioned the complexity of such a reactor. And we wouldn't be in an additive manufacturing show if we wouldn't love complexity. And therefore I would I would like to dive a little bit deeper into the concept of a fusion reactor. So Vincent, let me ask you,
2: what's going on inside a fusion reactor? Yeah, so it's a process that powers the sun and the stars uh, in the whole universe. So in a fusion reaction, you have light elements such as hydrogen, which are brought into specific conditions to fuse together and they create new elements and release a tremendous amount of energy so the goal of a fusion device is to reproduce and control this process which happen at extremely high temperatures and then convert the released energy into electricity so you mentioned high
0: temperatures and i think jim mentioned some very high temperatures earlier so what temperatures are we
2: actually talking about here well, in the sun's core, the hydrogen particles are, they are crushed together by the tremendous gravitational forces uh, of, the, of the star, of the sun, and they're brought around 15 million degrees C. Wow. Um, so at this temperature, the energy is so high that the electrons are stripped out of the atoms and create an ionized gas that we call a plasma. Uh, So it's the fourth state of the matter after solid, liquid, and gas. Uh, On our planet, obviously, we we, we cannot deal with the same volume of plasma and recreate these gravitational forces. Mm -hmm. So instead, we use magnetic fields to confine the plasma in a reduced volume. But to recreate the same conditions for fusion, we have to reach higher temperatures, like 10 times higher or more, depending on the fuel. So one of the biggest challenges of fusion energy is how to control this plasma. Uh, This requires extremely complex systems to monitor and control physics phenomena that happen sometimes in a few milliseconds. The other main challenge is how to heat the plasma. So here, there are different techniques, but TAE has determined that the most powerful way is to inject beams of particles from outside the plasma at very high speed which will collide with the ions inside, inside the plasma and transmit their energy. Think about particle accelerators all around the machine able to fire high-speed atoms of hydrogen into the plasma. Mm-hmm. So that's what we call the neutral beams. And so then finally, we have to confine and heat the plasma for a long enough time to sustain the fusion reaction. And that's another challenge.
0: A lot of challenges that you, that you mentioned, but a very fascinating process that I believe most of us have not heard about. So how do you, how do you typically address all of these challenges at, at TAE? I know there's, there's many different approaches that, that organizations are taking. Which ones are you taking?
2: Yeah, so several concepts of fusion devices with different geometries or different types of fuel are being pursued in national labs and private companies mm-hmm. all over the planet. Um, the most famous type of uh, device is the, the tokamak, uh, such as the JET or ITER projects. So their goal is to fuse deuterium and tritium, it's what we call DT fusion. Uh, they are two isotopes of hydrogen. Um, but at TE instead, we are working on a different type of device called Advanced Beam Driven Field Reverse Configuration, <laughs> or FRC in short. Yeah. Uh, It's a compact design, uh, which enables efficient operations with a specific rotating plasma configuration. So like in the Tokamaks, the plasma is confined and controlled by magnetic fields in a vacuum vessel. So the plasma never touches any physical component. Obviously, there's no material on the planet that will be able to resist these extreme temperatures. And then the plasma is driven by a set of powerful neutral beams that heat the plasma, as I explained before. Mm Our current research machine, C2W, also called NORMAN, runs at 75 million degrees, where practical fusion reactors will require anywhere between 100 million to 1 billion degrees C, depending on the type of fuel. Wow. Um, so these current advancements lead to 100% performance increase compared to the original design point of our research machine. And that's the result of 20 years of research and development and four generations of fusion devices. So I invite everyone to go to our website, tae.com, to read more about FRC Plasma and the different results. And if you type tae.com history, you can see the evolution of TAE's fusion machines since 1998. So now TAE is working on the next generation machine called Copernicus. That will demonstrate, by the mid of the decade, the viability of net energy production at the DT level of operation. That means the level of operation required for deuterium tritium fuel, so between 100 and 150 million degrees C. But we don't plan to do DT fusion in our machines. We are using only hydrogen as fuel for now with the final goal of fusing hydrogen and boron in the next generation machines. Hydrogen-boron is also known as proton-boron or PB11 fusion. This new step uh, will bring us to the cusp of our first commercial power plant prototype, with for sure many challenges for engineering.
0: Yeah, for sure. And I'm sure many engineers and physicists out there are are licking their their speakers right now uh, because It's such a unique concept that most of us haven't haven't heard about, as I mentioned earlier. So obviously this reactor is super complex. You guys raised more than a billion dollars in funding and uh, this reactor, therefore, is also not going to be cheap. How cost competitive can fusion technology be with other conventional energy technologies, but also with
2: renewables? Yes, you're right. Uh, Besides the the beauty of physics and engineering of fusion energy and these additive manufacturing uh, solutions, we'll have first to test them uh, to see if it's uh, viable. Uh, And then there's the reality of the market. So to be implemented on a large scale and benefit from the needed investment, fusion energy production will have to be cost competitive, reliable, safe, and with a minimum environmental footprint. So that's where the flexibility and the economical advantages of additive manufacturing will play a key role so vincent you talked
0: about about challenges that your currency currently is experiencing and if you talk to additive manufacturing engineers if they hear challenges if they hear uh complex uh physic uh, physics models and if they hear uh, high temperatures that's when you have their interest so what role does additive manufacturing play for tae
2: Yes, Fabian. so you summarized just the the main points. As you understand, this new fusion machine, Copernicus, uh, will handle way higher plasma temperatures, uh, which will be driven by even more powerful neutral beams. So to give you an idea, the conditions around the plasma and the beams are similar to a rocket engine combustion chamber, where tens of megawatts per square meter have to be dissipated in some areas. But in addition, our systems have to operate under a high vacuum so the design we're using so far is now shifting to another scale, which means more complex design, integration, and the need of more efficient components, including active cooling. Here is where additive manufacturing brings cutting edge solutions. So everything started last year with one important component of our neutral beam system, an accelerator grid, which needed to be redesigned for Copernicus conditions and include internal clean channels. It's a pretty flat component mounted into a complex assembly. So we were wondering how to integrate these internal clean channels and avoid wells that could lead to water leaks in our chamber and create uh, lots of issues. Mm -hmm. So to start, we've printed small samples to see how these 3D printed materials look. And then we started to work with you guys and your engineering team from Additive Minds. Uh, this has been a great experience since you you help us to understand additive manufacturing processes, the printing principles, and the new design approach to have. Um, it's it's a way different from uh, from conventional manufacturing and design we do usually. Mm-hmm. There are rules to know, new software to use for complex geometries, and also some limitations from the process itself that you have to take into account and integrate into the design. Correct. Then, after this uh, training phase, we started to work together on practical solutions and develop the prototype of a beam dump. So a beam dump is a sort of target which is fired by a beam and it is able to dissipate part of its energy. It will uh, heat up, and, and so it needs to be cooled down to keep its mechanical integrity. Right? You can compare that with a, a, a car engine where it, it needs to, to be cooled down so you circulate a coolant to dissipate the heat. Right, it's The same principle, mm-hmm. uh, but with way higher energy. So it requires the integration of complex cooling channels combined with uh, high performance materials and extremely efficient design. So that's what we call a high heat flux component. Uh, usually it's made of machine parts plates and tubes welded together. Uh, It's a proven design, but it requires a lot of work and many welds that have to be inspected to avoid any future leak. Mm -hmm. So we redesigned completely this component for additive manufacturing. And EOS team printed several versions of it while we were improving the design over several weeks. So that's amazing to see how uh, additive manufacturing enables fast prototyping and design iterations. It's a new approach to design. It gives a lot of uh, agility to engineering to validate concepts. So, Thanks to additive manufacturing, we've been able to completely redesign this component and I have a monolithic build, just one body, no weld, and even include gyroids to enhance the cooling efficiency. That's something you could not build with any conventional technique. Uh, and at the same time, we divided the weight by two with this printed version compared to the the conventional design, so you may think weight is not that important for a device which is fixed to the ground, mm-hmm. unlike for a car or a space shuttle. Um, but but when you think about assembly, maintenance, ergonomics, it can make a big difference. So you can print organic shapes, optimized geometry. Uh, they look great, and and still they are they are functional. So. In addition, with uh, additive manufacturing, we minimize the amount of material needed to manufacture our parts. So we have a near net shape build. So the uh, final machining effort is minimized as well. And that's very important for us to reduce the potential stresses and deformations that we could have on the part. Mm -hmm. And it reduces as well the overall manufacturing time. At the same time, we minimize the wasted material, plus some powder can be recycled for other bills. So that makes completely sense nowadays for our project. We do our best to minimize the environmental impact and with the final goal of producing clean energy. It's a responsible manufacturing. Yeah, for sure.
0: And you know if you if you ask me and if you look at all the aspects that out of manufacturing can bring to an organization, the capabilities of of, of design freedom and, and optimizing existing challenging designs to complex geometries that allow for a better heat transfer to light weighting and uh, even supply chain optimization, you are actually leveraging all of these benefits, even including the reduction of material for sustainability reasons. So that that is a very, very picture-perfect approach to additive manufacturing. And it's incredible to also say that you guys have only started using additive manufacturing uh, within the past 12 months and uh, not for the past uh, 12 years as as some other technologies. So you guys are very, very fast in the adoption of those new technologies. And I do wonder, what does that mean for future reactors? You're already so fast in adopting this new technology. What does that mean for future technologies uh, that come out of TAE?
2: Yeah, you were mentioning new technology. So we really are at a tipping point in fusion research. Um, like new technologies that did not exist 10 years ago are having a major impact now. Mm-hmm. Uh, for example, artificial intelligence and machine learning is used to control plasma and the machine operation. As I said before, uh, we have to deal with events that happen in milliseconds sometimes. So we are pretty confident that additive manufacturing will play an important role in fusion technology too. Uh, For sure, we'll have to test these uh, 3D printed parts in situ in our machine to see if they can resist to our high demanding conditions on the long term. Mm -hmm. As I said, they have to face high vacuum, high heat flux, and even high voltage. And then think about about the future to to meet the, the global energy demand and ensure the transition to net zero energy. That means that thousands of fusion power plants will need uh, to be built uh, worldwide in the future. That means the need of a high volume and reliable manufacturing supply chain for future power plant components. We won't 3D print all the elements of the machine, of course, but some of the critical components, as mentioned before, like the beam dump, accelerator grids, but also first of all elements, which are the components that are faced to the plasma. Uh, and as well the energy conversion components that will require complex design advanced geometries 3d curves complex cooling path and high performance materials so um, and besides these uh, components we are also exploring 3d printed solutions with ceramics and polymers for insulators and feed-through applications. So there are already a plenty, plenty of opportunities for additive manufacturing. And for us, having uh, optimized components in such a complex machine, that's the key to keep our system running.
1: You know, it's interesting to think about the evolution of the 3D printing industry and the evolution of the fusion industry. I mean, I saw my first 3D printer in the 80s, you know, and basically lasers and polymers and you know elevators and you know, you know, forming plastic parts. And today, you know, we're, you're making parts out of metals and alloys and ceramics, and it's come a long way in in just 40 years. Imagine what it's going to be in 10 or 15 years. You know, maybe it would be possible to print a good portion of a fusion reactor in 2035. You never know. Yeah,
0: exactly. We are just at the beginning of additive manufacturing. As you mentioned, it is Uh, A technology that was started in 1989 uh, was when the first commercial systems came out so that's only it's only 30 years and uh, your technology is also just at the beginning so um, I'm very curious to to understand what what's next for for fusion we just talked about the the past innovations that you guys have already put on the table but when can we expect fusion to actually contribute to the increasing demands for energy that are expected to more than double by by 2050?
1: Well, we have a stated path, um, as do many other fusion parties in terms of what we have to do to get there. And and right now, Copernicus, which is going to be demonstrating net energy out, is targeted, it's under construction right now. Mm-hmm. Um, the lessons we learn from that will be applied to the development of DaVinci, which is our, our first prototype commercial reactor which will have a thermal cycle to, to drive a steam turbine, uh, generating electricity the old fashioned way by, by turning water into steam. Um, and then you know a generation after that, we'll be looking at direct capture of, of energy from the fusion itself. But I, I think that the industry is, as a whole is fairly confident that we're gonna start seeing uh, fusion operating on a continuous basis in the early 30s. And then in terms of what Vincent was saying, there's never gonna be a bigger industrial initiative with, with a higher priority, I think, than building the tens of thousands of power plants we need to replace baseload um energy around the planet.
0: The perfect example of you know how additive manufacturing as such a innovative technology cannot even is not even comparable to the impact of the technologies that it enables. And to me, the fusion technology that you guys are working on is the perfect and prime example of the actual impact of technologies such as ours, but also complementary technologies such as artificial intelligence that you mentioned, Vincent, where engineers and companies such as yourself take all of these capabilities, bring them together and change the world. So thank you so much to both of you for, for sharing your vision, for sharing your experience. It It was a a pleasure having you on the show. And I cannot wait to see what comes out next out of TAE. Thank you, Fabian. Thank you very much, Fabian. So there you have it. The future of energy already here today. And additive manufacturing is making it all possible, along with the brilliant minds we've heard from throughout the miniseries. We started with our long-term energy staple, natural gas. And our additive manufacturing is helping legacy energy companies bridge the divide to a more sustainable clean energy creation. We heard from the experts on the role hydrogen will play in the journey as well. Even in the realm of renewable energy, AIM continues to play an important role, which is evolving every day. Lastly, we heard how TAE is working toward a fusion future to solve our world's energy needs. I hope you've enjoyed this first in a series of miniseries regarding the possibilities of additive manufacturing. Stay tuned for our next miniseries. I promise you'll be amazed. So don't forget to subscribe to Additive Snack in the podcast app of your choice, if you haven't already. And if you have questions or comments about our podcast, simply need the help in your additive project, or want to learn even more about the world of additive manufacturing, visit our Additive Minds Academy page at store.eos.info or reach out to me directly at fabian.allerfeldt at eos-na.com. Until then, I'm Fabian Allerfeldt. Thanks for listening, and please join us next time on Additive Snap. A special thanks for this episode goes out to all our guests and to my co-producers, Kristen War, Bauch, as well as Dan Pester.